Hello and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Free Like Me podcast. My name is Ben Smith and I am your host today. Over the next couple of weeks, we are looking at money in the world of sport. And we will be speaking to a couple of experts each week who can help us really digest some of the key issues that uh, exist in the world of sport. So today I am really delighted to be joined by two fantastic guests. Um, both are doing great things in the world of sports. Um, both are Loughborough legends, so um, I'm sure there'll be a few Loughborough anecdotes in there for today. Um, the first of my guests, she's been on the podcast before. Um, she won many a fan for the first time for her fantastic Welsh accents. Um, Gemma, it's great to have you back. Thanks, Ben. What a great intro. I'll definitely be back <laughs> after that. <laughs> Good. And um, second guest uh, is Amy from the Premier Sports Network. So Amy um, has been working in the world of sport for a while now. As I said, she also came through Loughborough, so knows the ins and outs of the world of sport pretty well. Um, Amy, it's great to have you here for the first time. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be involved. Right, let's dive straight in then. Um, so coming to you first, I mean, I think most of our um, guests or viewers will know that Gemma is one of our advisors here at FLM. Um, she specializes in uh, education for athletes. So that's something that she's been doing quite heavily for the last few years. Um, Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Because our, our listeners might, might not be quite so familiar. Yeah, sure. So um, as you alluded to, um, started my student life, but also my work in life at Loughborough University. So gained my first role really once I graduated to go and work for the university and set up the London campus that was being built on the Olympic Park. Uh, within that role, really, I found my my love for helping people, you know, find their next role, their employability, um, helping them enter the world of work and working particularly with students, but also student athletes to find their next steps, whatever that may be. Uh, and since then, really, I've been working in graduate recruitment, early careers, apprenticeships for the past 10 years, and um, very much, again, on the employability side of things, helping them upskill, helping them develop and just helping them become all rounded human beings and um, both personally and professionally which um, kind of led me to where I am now. So alongside working full-time, I took on the scary task of doing a part-time master's, of course, back at Loughborough again. Um, and um, I focus very much my research in business psychology, but particularly rather than the world of office work, which most people think of when thinking about business, I specialize actually in the world of work, which is being on the pitch for your job. So um, athletes, um, and their, again, their kind of journey, um, their experience of being in the workplace, and most importantly, their emotional uh, resilience when it comes to transitioning from their sporting world of work to the more, um, you know, corporate world of works. And that's where I am now today at Premier Sports Network. Well, it sounds like you've had a very busy few years, Amy, and that's um, quite a lot to be uh, doing all at once. So so well done you. Um, so, so when to so the key stakeholders that you work with t tell us a little bit about them and and how you're interacting with them 
Yeah, so in the role now uh, at Premier Sports Network, being kind of head of education, it's actually brought together all the stakeholders that I've worked with in my previous life, kind of into one role, really. Um, so we, you know, on a regular basis, I'm liaising with athletes themselves. Um, so again, supporting them directly with their education, their employability, but also with their player care managers, their heads of education, their academy managers, basically those who are around them to make sure that they are developing both on the pitch, but off the pitch at the same time. Um, but alongside that, I'm still very much got, um, a, you know, a big foot in the university and higher education sector, um, because we do also work with universities and um, supporting their scholarship athletes. So again, working with um, athletes who maybe aren't in a traditional sport academy, but are studying for a degree or studying further education while still um, aiming either to be a professional athlete or actually they are a dual career athlete themselves. So multiple stakeholders on a daily basis, which certainly makes my job extremely fun. Yeah, and I guess it, it must be really difficult whenever you're dealing with an athlete and talking about employability after being an athlete, right? Because as an athlete, you're you're often taught to, you know, focus on being the best and, and focus on getting to the top of your game. And, you know, you almost need that tunnel vision sometimes, don't you, where you've got your, your end goal in, in sight. So uh, how, how do you, you deal with that? And, and are most athletes open to that sort of thing or, or is there a bit of a resistance from, from some athletes? Yeah, I definitely, you know, would say that we are not naive to the fact that all the athletes that we work with, their main focus is to forge a professional career within sport if they're not already doing so already. Um, so we very much respect that. So the way that we work with athletes is by not saying things like plan Bs or, you know, when you fall out the sport or life after sport, we very much term in actually you can have other interests. You can be multidimensional. You don't just have to be a footballer or a cricketer or a golfer. You can also be a musician or you might be a financial investor or you may be a dad or a mum. Um, so we just want to instill the, you know, instill the fact that they are rounded people. They're not just an athlete. And so by working on other skills, by having other interests, by doing employability or careers or whatever you want to say at the same time is not going to detract from their performance on the pitch, you know, from the commitment that they have for their sport. It's simply just making sure that they have something else alongside sport. And then that naturally, you know, comes to the fact that when, you know, it does become their time to retire or um, move on to, you know, another career. It is another career. It's not the second career. It's simply another thing in their life. So um, we always term it that way. We're very respectful with that. And I think that's why people buy into what we do it must help so much in building people's identities more as well because when you're um, working in the world of sport if you are an athlete um, it can form such a huge part of your identity and definitely we've seen this is that when if when that does come to an end you can feel lost yeah 100% and actually going back to what I mentioned before so the research that I undertook um, was was around that you know it's very clear to see that if you have multiple identities if you have multiple interests if you have other hobbies your transition um, you know your emotional transition your support network um, that that period of your life where you are moving into your second career is so much easier if you've already established those from an early age and um, not kind of forced upon at the end of the day let you know you might get an injury 
you might be expecting a renewed contract and it doesn't come your way. You might have a significant illness. A parent might pass away. These are critical moments in our life that we can't prepare for. So it's quite risky for athletes to kind of think, well, when I retire, because actually you don't know when that's going to happen. So that's why it's really important from, you know, me personally, but, you know, the work that you guys are doing as well to really instill these behaviours and that it's okay to have other interests at an early age. So it just becomes part of their norm, really. Yeah, I think it should it it should complement what they're doing, right? And and as hard as it can be to shift a athlete's attention away from training pitch and and taking time to do something else, the the, the earlier they can do that, the easier it's going to be. Because I think you know, as people go through their career, particularly towards the later years, it often becomes harder to to learn and study for these things, and and getting athletes involved in it early is just going to make it that much easier. So in terms of player care because we obviously a lot of what we're doing with clubs is is helping the player care teams and helping support them with things like financial education but what does player care actually mean and I know it does vary from club to club yeah so I think this is probably the trickiest question um that you can be asked when you work in this field because player care is still very much an emerging um, field, an emerging profession, <laughs> an emerging team um, within the world of sport. And it can really vary, not, not even between sports, but like you said, between clubs within the same sport. Um, us at Premier Sports Network, we very much see it and um, work in the field of player care where we believe it is anything that supports the athlete away from the pitch to, in, order them to, in order for them to be more successful on the pitch. So whether that is... Um, you know, anything from, you know, mental health safeguarding education, right through to things like, you know, making sure they have support for their family or help with travel or help to settle in accommodation. So it's really a very large scale. What you'll find is that some people see it more of a concierge service. So more of a, we will support the player in whatever they need. However, here, um, we very much like to think it's actually more the support of a player and it's that holistic support um, for that athlete um, whilst they are, you know, in their professional career. But like you said, Ben, it really does vary. And some sports don't even use the term player care. Uh, They'll use something very different. Yeah, well, a concierge service sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, it does. <laughs> but it's certainly something that we um, we don't really align with. We see it much more of a holistic support um, for, for the athlete uh, and helping them really become individuals to support themselves uh, rather than being supported for. So, Yeah, and and so, Gemma, moving on to, to you, where, where do you come in in all of this and how are you helping support Amy here? Um, yeah, so where we fit in, um, Ben, is kind of what you were saying earlier, is we've been doing loads of the um, educational bits. So working with um, player care, um, with athletes, specifically um, with lots of football players um, as well, and sort of younger players, trying to educate them um, from the and offering that support that you were talking about, Amy, the sort of holistic support. So we come in and help with the financial support, financial education, because loads of these people find themselves, um, I mean, there's different ends of the spectrum with it. There's people that are earning lots of money but don't have the education on how to um, handle it properly. There's also people that are just super, super young and a massive, massive issue. This is a challenge for everyone, not just people in the world of sport, is that um, we're never formally educated on money. We're never taught 
how to save money, how banks work, what you need to do to get a mortgage, what a pension is. Um, we're literally not taught anything like that. And instead, we tend to learn these things over time, if at all. Um, but the, the problem for, for athletes in particular is that they can find themselves coming into money from a super young age, even if those earnings are still relatively low. That doesn't matter because they're coming into having earnings from a young age and having to make decisions with that money from a young age. And they've not had the education around how best to, to deal with it. And it can get themselves into all sorts of problems with it. Yeah, and I think I think we always talk about how short an athlete's career is. If you compare it to the more traditional career where maybe you start working from 16 to 20 and stop working between 60 and 70, potentially, you know, you've got a long time around 45 years to work, make mistakes, save, invest, do all those things that you need to do. And, and typically what happens in a in a career like that is that at the start, obviously, your earnings are relatively low and, and hopefully they increase over time and your ability to save and invest for ultimate retirement, as it were, um, it only increases. In the world of sport, obviously, the earnings tend to be very much front loaded and, and most athletes particularly in sports like rugby and football tend to stop playing in their early 30s um so the need to make those those great decisions um is is even more focused at, at such a young age and I, I guess you know Gemma is it fair to say that a lot of people because they're not taught these things almost learn by mistakes in a way definitely and I guess, like you say, when their earnings um, period is so concentrated into such a small period at a young age, they almost can't afford to make those mistakes and to learn from them. Like, I don't know about you, but I definitely did not know how to make good financial decisions when I was 16 or even older than that, to be honest. If someone gave me a load of money at that age, I just would have gone and spent it straight away. <laughs> I think it's also, like you said, you know, you don't learn it at school. I would have had no idea at that age. And also you know, really without having, you know, a dad that works in finance, I think I was pretty lucky. If I hadn't have had that, I think I would have been really lost to know what to do with my money, even though my first paycheck, I think was something like £25, because <laughs> it was one shift. Um, you know, you just don't do you if you don't have that that role model in your life to support you with that um, education, then, ha- you know, how do these young people know what to do and how to do quite a scary thing of think about their future as well? when you're young as well you don't you're not thinking about your future you're just very much live in the present at 16 17 18 even your early 20s you still want to live in the, the present you're not thinking about when i stop working and when um you need to retire and things like that and especially not in the world of sport like you were saying earlier amy to, to your points then is that there's no in the world of sport they don't think about that life and, and that can be something that's encouraged because you want to focus on on the then and now but also um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to strike that balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, when we when we see athletes earning money from age 16, let's say, you know, there's a huge amount of temptations out there and it's very easy to, to spend that money um, extremely quickly, particularly with the internet and adverts all over adverts, the place Adverts, Instagram. Oh my God, it's so easy. Amazon just has my card details saved. I literally press two buttons and there can be something at my door later that day. It's actually terrifying. Yeah, and I, th- I think recognising that is really important in the sessions that we do and, and recognising that it, it is so easy to spend, but it's also so easy to get into some good habits. So get into some good habits of saving regularly, investing. And again, it's the education piece is super important because without that, 
you're not they're not going to know how to actually start to invest their money and where to look and and often as you said Amy it comes down to parents but mm -hmm. the, the club the clubs are obviously taking an increasingly um well an increasingly uh more active role in this area and I know certain governing bodies out there are starting to mandate that clubs need to do this so what are the biggest challenges you see for for this moving forward then Amy? I think it's what you were saying in terms of clubs are starting to um, make sure this is incorporated into their life skills program, into their education programs, alongside other topics. Um, I think, you know, challenges moving forward is just that the athlete themselves, it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of what is player care. And actually, it's about educating the athletes to take some ownership to reinforce those habits that they're being taught, to actually go away and implement those in their life rather than sitting, you know, in a workshop, maybe saying, yes, okay, whatever, and then forgetting about it all going home. Or actually, you know, the fact that clubs may, um, you know, do it for them, for example, and, um, you know, take it that one step where they don't even have to think about it because it has been taken out of their hands. So I think, again, it's just about what you were saying in terms of reinforcing those behaviours, making good changes to their, their habits, understanding why this is important now and it's okay to think about this now and you know you're not going to be held well why are you even considering this you should be focusing only on your sport um so yeah I think that's kind of where we're, we're heading for really I think that's why the education sessions that you you are running are so important because they are practical there are ways that they can go and implement this straight away even if it's something just as small as budgeting right up to um things such as investing so I love that Amy that some of the words that you're saying they're talking about the habits they're getting into and stuff I was like you've been coming to our sessions you know I, I have know I have <laughs> definitely <laughs> I've learned so much listening to your <laughs> sessions <laughs> Come on. You, you must be bored of them by now yeah, <laughs> never but but I, I think going back to that point that you raised around getting the club to do stuff for them and 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 getting parents to do things for their their children because we all know that are you well equipped to make good decisions about your money from the age to six of 16 to 25 potentially and 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 i think on the whole from in my experience and and you know not just personally but um seeing seeing a lot of clients children as i do i, I definitely think that we're not equipped to make those decisions and we haven't gone through enough life lessons that's you know not to say there isn't people out there that are more aware and do make good decisions, but on the whole, I think that's a definite trend. And and certainly if you look at the way the government has set up company pensions, company pensions are now mandated and you, you have to contribute a certain amount and the employer has to contribute a certain amount. And they've done that and, and they've also enrolled people into schemes to, to almost force people to make good decisions. And I guess with a lot of sport, it's, it's hard to do that because those things are, are for when you're, 55 years old not for when you're 35 years old so it, it it's almost does feel that fall down to the individual and and maybe you know the, the luck of them having good people around them yeah no I I agree I, again you know keep using the word but you know role models are essential and I think what we've started really seeing is that actually there are almost um groups of players you know young boys you know 18 years old that we've seen where they're talking about money with each other they know about things like passive income and cryptocurrency and they're having these conversations 
I guess the scary bit is are where where are they getting this information from? A lot of them say kind of Instagram adverts or things they've read online. Yeah, we've definitely and I think that's had one some. of the big issues. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the big issues. You know, they're having these conversations, they're reinforcing each other's, you know, behaviors, they're all egging each other on. Um, it's great that they're having conversations about money, but actually where are they finding out about the so-called facts or not facts about money? Um, but so that is one of the issues that I definitely see um, and hear but I actually think it's a massive positive they are talking about it at that age they are taking some responsibility they are more aware and it just I think they just need that extra kind of level of potentially um like you said Ben like hand holding at that age just to make sure that at least um what they're doing is that is the right actions but I think it's I think it's great that they you know they seem to be talking about it and seem to be more aware than ever before really that's so so true that you say that Amy one of the recent sessions we did was one that you um weren't there and we literally sat down and they they knew they were coming what we were talking about and stuff and one of the people that we were um presenting to kind of stood up and said so I don't need this session and we were like oh okay this is a new one they were like you don't need this one it's like got this crypto guy and um follow him on instagram and guaranteed this this crypto is guaranteed and was like telling everyone to do it and uh, like you say it's amazing that they're actually doing this research and they're excited by it and actually the concept of investing and things like that but it's these sort of um FOMO type stocks where um, it, people get involved in it because they don't want to like the fear of missing out and they want to be involved in it because other people are and their friends are talking about it but the information they've got isn't necessarily reliable and it's also yeah. it's an echo chamber right it, it's if, if you're uh, the cryptocurrency echo chamber that you can find yourself in uh, on, on the internet is is insane and you know that th there are every session we go to we get asked about the next big fad i think and at the moment it's yeah. it's cryptocurrency but previously it had been individual stocks like gamestop that we saw last year and and it, and there's always going to be that and i think that's that's fine for people to explore these different areas but they're areas where you could technically lose all your money and and if you invest sensibly and you diversify across property, shares, cash, bonds, um, other asset classes, alternative investments, then you're going to have such a diversification that you're really going to be able to weather any sort of storm. And I think, you know, that again is where where people can let get led, led astray. So one of my questions was going to be, you know, where have we seen these go things go wrong? But I think coming back to you, Gemma, you know, obviously we do see people fall out of the game early due to injury or due to not getting new contracts. So so what are some of the, the things that the athletes can do to limit the damage there? Yeah, it's a good question. There's, well, I think having a plan for things is the obvious answer. So to plan for things going wrong, but in reality, that's not likely to look just going to say to everyone, make sure that you've got a plan if things go wrong. And everyone will be like, okay, got it sorted. Don't worry. Thanks. Um, because going back to your point earlier, Amy, is that one of the great things about young athletes, academy footballers, for example, is that generally speaking, they so ambitious they're so driven they're given this incredible opportunity to play a sport that they love from such a young age and they throw their all into it because they get consumed by it um because they see themselves being the next big thing which is amazing and that is a positive thing the flip side of that 
that is the opposite to the drivers that there is no younger player who will ever tell you that they will be anything other than a footballer so there's never mm. any consideration that they'll be in that actually unfortunately quite high percentage that that doesn't make it so what that means is that there isn't ever a contingency plan so there's not a plan for life after football like you were saying um amy or life after the, the sport they're playing and that rolls onto their financial planning as well if they're not considering that there's a plan for their career after that there's definitely not normally a plan for their finances after that whereas by getting into these good habits and good behaviors from a from a super early age and just instilling them um into their, their plans can make a massive difference so getting things sorted like insurance or making sure that there's there's pots that you've not been spending all of your money and and talking about that and, and getting comfortable with the prospect that there may not be that it may not be there forever um in in that sport and um, once they get comfortable with that then you can start to have realistic plans and, and talk to people and then get into good habits with that to sort it out yeah and i think it's very difficult to ever downgrade your lifestyle as well so you know if if you play in a certain sport and earn really well for five years and then there's an injury or, or there's a reason you have to stop going backwards and spending less money and you know, maybe not having as nice a car or, or not being able to continue to pay the mortgage and live in the house you're living in, that that is an extremely tough position to be in and um, can lead to all sort of nasty consequences. So I think just, just not getting placed. In- the reality as well is that um, there's massive pressures internally as well in sport and amongst peers and things like that, that when you are at a certain level to then keep up with everyone else in terms of the things that you own and the places that you go and all that type of thing. So there's, it's, it's a complex area because there's so many parts to it. Um, and that, that internal influence and peer pressure is a massive one as well. I think that's like any, you know, sphere of young people, isn't it? That you have that peer pressure, you want the same things, you see the person with the latest technology, even at school, you know, oh, they've got the latest trainers, I haven't. But it seems to almost be amplified um, whilst in that changing room because they are all earning, um, unlike maybe, you know, the kids in the the school playground. Um, And they also are seeing those who are, you know, who have led the path before them. So Mm. professional athletes who are you know different in terms of their their earnings and their um obviously we're talking about football specifically here and obviously some sports is very different in terms of the level of earnings that they receive but um yeah having those role models and kind of seeing what they can aspire to be almost kind of you know shines a spotlight on this is what I could have and perhaps maybe intensifies maybe the behaviors that are not the most useful um yeah. when it comes to peer pressure Definitely. Yeah, one of the the topics we always discuss is that that idea of being a lifestyle creep and not falling into that trap. And um, the lifestyle creep for anyone that doesn't know what it is, it's it's where each time you earn more money, you just upgrade your lifestyle and and spend everything. Whereas a, a sound financial plan would be each time you you get a pay rise to obviously save a proportion of it and improve your lifestyle a little bit along the way as well. Um, so we always introduce this, and it's really interesting because we did it at a presentation not too long ago. Um, when we were in the breakout groups, again, to your point, Amy, some of the guys were saving, some weren't. And one of the guys was was really good in this group and was saving and, and putting quite a quite a good sum of money away each month. And, and another of the athletes just, just wasn't. And um, it was quite funny because at one point I, I sort of suggested even starting small and, you know, even if it's 20 pounds a week trying to do, do, do something to get started. 
And uh, one of the the athletes was sort of still shaking their head and saying that they couldn't do it. And uh, another one of the guys chipped in and just said, for God's sake, it's just one less Nando's a week. And I just <laughs> I just thought as a way to get people talking, it's just it's so useful to sometimes hear that from another one of your peers, because it's almost more powerful than hearing it from, you know, someone as like us as a professional standing in front of them. Yeah, definitely. And I know we we have focused on football, which is, you know, quite a different beast in itself. But I think, you know, everything that we educate and have spoken about in regards to these young footballers is actually probably just as if not more important for the sports where they don't get paid a lot. Because, you know, when you look at some individual sports, um, you know, you're relying on a much less money to last you for a lot longer. Often careers are longer in individual sports. If you look at kind of Olympians, Paralympians, however, the earnings are considerably less at a younger age, if anything, to be honest. So being able to um, install those behaviours in people that need to almost, think of a better word, eke out <laughs> the earnings that they do have when they compete or when they, you know, get the next medal or get the next competition, I think just as important, but it's a very, very de- different kettle of fish when we are looking at other sports as well. Definitely. Well, that goes back to the messages being the same, whether you're an athlete, whether you're not, well, I don't know whether I can say normal person, um, if you're, um, that, that getting into the right behaviours with your money, um, that the fundamentals um, apply no matter what, and having that financial education um, applies to everyone. Yeah, and I was I was really keen to to touch on the the women's game, um, particularly in the world of football, Amy, because I know you you do a lot in this space as well. But to take us there and just just tell us a little bit about what, what why it's different and what that means for them, particularly with finances. Yeah, so what you'll find is, um, particularly within women's football, the earnings are considerably lower if they are earning at all uh, through their sport. Um, so that's where we um, really are working with the women's game to ensure that they do have dual careers. They have, you know, a- another, you know, another option, another revenue stream uh, within their lives. And that could be through having a job. It could be through, um, you know, sponsorship or um or things like that so it it is different really but as we've said the financial education is is just the same there's still young people who are aspiring to get on the property ladder like their friends who you know aren't professional um or wanted to be professional footballers you know they're still wanting to earn an income to live a nice lifestyle but they just have to go about it in a very different way so having that education on well how can they earn in in different ways and what are other revenue streams how can they make money where it might not be direct earnings from their sport and how can they save money and grow their money another term that I've picked up from you guys (laughs) how can they grow their money uh, really to help them have a sustainable future because ultimately they still are going to have a career uh, you know hopefully up until you know their mid-30s at least but how can you do that, you know, whilst making sure that you have a lifestyle outside of sport and when you're on very, very different earnings to the men's game? Basically, the women are nailing it with all sorts of entrepreneurial skills and balancing several different jobs. <laughs> no, definitely. And I know a lot of them, you know, they use the skills and the education and the the, you know, the comments and the points of reflection that you include in your presentations to, you know, influence not just looking after their money but other parts as well so you know again reinforcing those 
good habits, working with clients, teamwork, um, all of that, that's really important for them to enable them to have a, a successful dual career as well as to be able to successfully manage their, their money as well. So um, yeah, they are absolutely um, smashing it, the women's side of the game. Go on, Gal. And in a way, it's easier to remain grounded, right? Because because you you have to look for those other opportunities and you have to almost take more responsibility about what your future looks like and and I guess I guess looking back at some of the history with with a sport like football you know in the early 90s the earnings were extremely low and then it was when sports rights came in in, in the sort of early 1990s so 1992 1993 where the this the salaries and earnings really started to step up and you know just this week we're seeing that the Premier League rights in the US could go for almost 2 billion, I think it is, which is double what it was in 2015. So the, the money has just become so inflated and it's a relatively new topic. You know, if, if you think about how long it's been that way, we're talking about 30 years max. So I think the whole industry is still learning how to deal with these things. And hopefully as things progress in the women's game, you know, the TV rights start to come, there starts to be greater levels of earnings and and maybe you know because it's gone that way and there's there's more player care at an early stage there may be a more sustainable model that exists within the women's game and and people are more sensible with their finances yeah definitely i think we are you know we're seeing the women's game you know massively start building up in terms of investment in terms of popularity spectatorship um and that has almost on that journey of growth has also come the journey of the staff behind the scenes. So we are starting to see, you know, player care managers that are dedicated for the women's team. We're starting to see, you know, the WSL Academy and their, you know, life skills programs um, that we've been a part of. So as the, as the sport continues to grow, I only think and envisage that the support that they're going to um, be receiving as athletes is also going to grow alongside. We're still a very long way off in terms of, you know, proportion of staff or player care or or whatever in comparison to the men's game but actually saying that it's often down to the club as well you know we're talking about the men's game in a very kind of one sweeping statement but you know if you look at a league two club they may not have a dedicated player care officer whereas in the premier league you 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 need to have one as a club so um i think as you know going back to where we first started really ben that Player care not only means something different in each club, but it looks very different in each club, both in terms of how it's delivered, how it's resourced. And I think that's only kind of really amplified even more so within the women's game as well. Yeah, and we could we could easily go down a rabbit hole here, but I, I always sort of think of the example of golf, which is, is something I follow quite closely. And they've done a fantastic job at launching the women's game in, in, in golf, and it's becoming you know, bigger all the time and having shared tournaments, which we've been involved in with with some of our golf partners, um, where male and female athletes are competing in the same tournament, you know, that only raises um, the viewership. And, and I, I feel like football could probably do some more stuff there um, just to try and link up the two games and, and get people people interested in, in um, both games uh, uh, along the way. Ben, isn't your fiancé better than you at golf now? <laughs> I've heard that. No anyway. comment, Jeff. No I've comment, Jeff. I said no rabbit holes, all right? <laughs> um, but yeah, she is. Um, much better swing than I have. Um, so I think we've covered a lot of this, but but is there any other ways that, that you wanted to highlight, Amy, particularly in terms of how cl- clubs are addressing some of the issues of the past? I think it's just about um, their acknowledging, um, you know, 
where where things seem to go wrong so as you've mentioned you know you yourself see people who are in very sticky situations whether that's through just simply not managing their finances effectively through to gambling you know we can start getting on the rabbit hole there of you know addictions and and things like that and I think just the fact that um now you know all clubs have life skills programs all clubs are starting to deliver you know workshops such as being delivered by yourself just so that we're absolutely on the right trajectory uh, we understand that these people are um you know maybe thrust into the spotlight maybe earning more than what their peers would be if they weren't an athlete and the more we can kind of just be continuing to support in this field i think the better really yeah it's fantastic i mean you know n- nothing in life is ever going to be perfect but i think um some of the work that you guys are doing and, and clubs and the bodies are doing is is great and um I think it's only going to improve from here yeah but even since we first started talking um and sort of doing these bits and bobs i feel like the momentum that's picked up with it and the changes that we've seen over that time has been mm. massive anyway let alone what other what other changes can happen and the momentum it can pick up moving forwards yeah no definitely and i think just you know just from a personal point of view in terms of you know, as we've been growing momentum as and as we've been delivering more and more workshops alongside yourselves and, you know, you get in, into different clubs and delivering money education, at the same time, obviously, the personal experience of, you know, my brother signing his first professional contract and before he knows it, he's earning a wage that's, you know, bigger than your average graduate after kind of three, four years of university. Um, but he's, you know, just turned 18. And so, you know, being on that personal journey of, you know, seeing someone in that spotlight, earning a wage, not really knowing what to do with it, and, you know, not knowing who to turn to. And, you know, I think it's just been even more, you know, impressionable on me in terms Mm -hmm. of what you guys teach, and how I can go away and how I can influence, you know, my family and my brother with those messages. And, and it does make me think, it does make me think, you know, if I wasn't saying that to him, if my parents weren't saying that to him, who would he turn to? Who would he know what to do? But the more you guys are going out and getting your, you know, your names and knowing that young players can come and speak to you in confidence, they can come and trust you um, and that you're experts in the field. Um, but at the same time, you're personable and relatable and, and all well, of that. Stop. I think you know, it's, it's, it's only a good thing, isn't it? You know, that people feel like they have someone to turn to. I assume you were just talking about Gemma with all those comments. <laughs> Amy can no, come the back. whole team, the whole team, Ben. <laughs> also, Amy, really I feel like you're going to have points. the most sound financial plan of anyone because by joining the sessions and things and the things that you've picked up, and I've heard you talk about them before as well. Um, it's so good to hear. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I think everything you you teach is is you know absolutely relatable for anyone who's looking to have some sort of financial plan whether you're an athlete or not yeah and I think it's just starting starting in a light way in terms of not getting too technical too quickly trying to engage athletes and and just get them interested really is is the first step right and I mean the last point I really wanted to just just briefly touch on um because in a lot of sports as we mentioned athletes might may not even be 18 when when they start earning money um and that that, that's across lots of different sports out there and i guess a lot of it comes down to to luck of the draw whatever you want to call it in terms of who are the people around you Mm -hmm. so you know parents clearly are normally the first port of call and I, i guess many parents have never had to manage 
that sort of money that a young athlete might be earning they might not know what to do with it so how do we how do we help them and and you know what's what's some ways in which they can help their their child make some good decisions this one's a massive one like um you were saying before amy the influence that you've been able to have and that your parents have been able to have that your dad who works in finance on your brother and even on you on that education like parents or, or the people um that in um players or athletes immediate circle can have a massive influence here and they've got the power to make a massive massive difference um to their situation like we've had some amazing stories of where um parents have, have um, gone out of their way to help in this space and i think it can be as simple as if parents of, of athletes can take it upon themselves to go on that journey of, of education and to learn about finance and educate themselves together then that can have a massive impact i think we were talking about it before and there are probably very few parents that know what a lifetime isa is or anything like that and by learning about that in tandem with um with their children or with their family um, they can make a massive difference um, with it and it's something we do as well with the players that, that we work with is that we'll always engage with their family where it's appropriate as well and get them involved because it can be a group thing and it makes it so so much easier for them moving forwards. Yeah I definitely think we all have a responsibility to ensure that those who are um, looking after a player or you know whether that's a parent whether that's a host family whether that's a carer you know like you said, those influences, those who have players within their care, making sure that they feel confident and they feel upskilled, that they can support, um, you know, everything that you are teaching. So, you know, there's nothing more scary than having someone who's in your care, and um, whether that's your own child or someone else's, and not feeling fully confident that you know how to deal with the situation or you know how to prepare best for the future in terms of finances. So, I think you know the fact that we have had parents, you know give feedback on the session saying that it's helped them to then help their child or help those in their care is really important because as you mentioned it's all about reinforcing those messages and if you're saying one thing and we're educating the athletes in one way but then they go home and their parents are saying something completely different that can actually be quite damaging really and even more confusing for for this young person who as we've already alluded to probably has no idea what's going on um and shouldn't really because they are only 17 years old so um i think it's exceptionally important to make sure that those people come on the journey with us in educating Mm -hmm. them about money yeah and you, you you don't know what you don't know right and and i think it there's lots of different things that that a parent would need to look out for when engaging in any sort of professional service or or anything out there so it's little things like making sure they're asking those people whether they're regulated by the fca and 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 checking that they are making sure um that they fully understand how they will be charged and what the commitment is and how does that compare to the rest of the industry making sure that they know that they're the right investment structures and tax structures and when they can access the money there's there's all these things that i think when being in the industry you take it for granted um but the only way that the parents can start to do that is is learn from different sources and and speak to different um professionals and and get you know a few different opinions on on these things so again i think you know it's something we're really keen to to, to try and help with and obviously help educate um parents and clubs along the way as to to how they should be building a sort of panel of people that they can deal with in these areas um well 
thank you both very much for for joining today that was super super useful and um amy hopefully we'll we'll get you back on at some point and um you guys would have made even more strides in in what you're doing because as as Gemma said it's um it's really great to see all the the awesome work that you're doing at the PSN network Brilliant. No, yes, please. I would be very happy to come back. Um, and just again, thank you for having us on, but also for your continued support in making sure we are getting out to as many clubs as possible to deliver money education um, and to ensure that both players, parents and those caring for them feel confident in, in moving forward. So, yes, let's let's carry on and hopefully we'll reconvene in, a, in you know, a few months or a few years time and can see um, how many people we've helped and supported along the way. Amy, we should have you as an advert. That was lovely, what you just said. <laughs> Even though I think it's got people moving furniture upstairs <laughs> over the top, but <laughs> I'm happy to use it as a soundbite. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. And, and always a pleasure to speak to you, Gemma, as well. Thanks, Ben. That means a lot. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, stay tuned for some more of these podcasts in the coming weeks. 